It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Clever Kids podcast, the weekly pop culture podcast where the sound quality for some reason is different every week. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm my name is Tyler. I'm your host. I'm here with my co-hosts Brian and Jeff. Brian, which one are you? Uh, that's me. I don't know how much that helps. We got feedback last week that we sound the same, so I'm going to talk in a deeper voice and act like it's my normal voice from now on. <laughs> and Jeff, oh, I'm going to talk like you? Mickey Mouse. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy. I remember? <laughs> no, um, yeah, I'm the smart one. I'm also the, the cute one and the tough one. Um, oh. It uh, doesn't leave a lot no. for them, but uh, they're both the dumb ones. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're going to cut All that right. out, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to edit that right out. I'm going to play the um, Curb Your Enthusiasm song over the back of it. Um, just anytime Jeff goes to talk, just do the... Yeah. Exactly. Um, All right. Who wants to start this week? Uh, this week we're going to be talking about our favorite, a few of our favorite things. But uh, before we do that, we like to start off with what we've been doing uh, throughout the rest of the week. Cute, smart, and tough. What do you got? What sure. did you do? Uh, I made it clear on the last uh, week that I was going to be picking up Spider-Man Miles Morales. Uh, I'm currently plugging my way through it. Uh, having a blast being Spider-Man. Uh, I, I like to play games by completing all of the side quests before moving on from storyline. So, um, yeah, I'm having a blast. Uh, let's see, we also... Wait, 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 wait. You, you go and play all the side quests before you yeah. do the story? What? Yes. That's crazy. That's the craziest thing. I'm probably going to hear this episode until Jeff starts talking about his favorite movie, in which I will invariably... Or, in, or just so, so in any game, in any game. I like to try and complete the game before fight, fighting the final boss. Like, when I played God of War... Uh, in God of War, the 2018 game, you have to fight Valkyries that are trapped in mortal bodies on Earth. Um, and you have to fight them and kill them in order to free their souls so they continue being Valkyries. Uh, and there have difficulties between the nine Valkyries, uh, ones that you meet early in the game that you're not supposed to come, that you're supposed to lose to and come back and beat. And I spent like six hours just memorizing their patterns and plugging away at their health until I finally killed them. I never walked away from a single fight in that game. And it was very fun. Um, Jeez. Sounds like you're doing okay, the, uh, so the one Pokemon method. Where you, where you just get all your shreds of experience and you're one guy. We'll call it the Blastoise method. Cause I don't know how this relates to... Yeah, just don't well, you just do it. You just do every single part of the game with your one character before you like even get to the end. Do you know what I'm saying? Like literally, no. that was the whole <laughs> you're point. You're talking about a completely different <laughs> gaming experience, but sure. You know what? I'm cutting you both out of this, and people are just going to listen to me <laughs> Brian, talk on this the episode. Brian so I'm the only one making sense here. Yeah. Oh, you're going to edit the podcast? I, I full Jeff, take your headphones off. <laughs> take your headphones off, and let's send all our sound <laughs> Brian, over to him and see what he can you, do with it. You wouldn't want that. People are calling for the Brian cut. Uh, I do want to apologize for last week's sound <laughs> quality. If we have any repeat listeners, Jeff did not wear headphones, and his microphone picked up all the audio. And at different times than my audio actually recorded, so it made it impossible oh, so, to so edit apologize together. When I get bad audio, but not when Brian uses the restroom on live stream. <laughs> I, I said hey, that you don't say that. 
I was able to delete that episode before I think anyone really heard it. It said we had six downloads, but I think I was one of them <laughs> at least. So maybe five other people heard it. So we went, we moved on without talking about that. Why are we, why are we doing it now? Why well, do we, we got to talk about back. it now? I'm sorry, people. I thought that the mute button on my mic muted me completely, and apparently it doesn't mute me from the computer picking me up. So when I went to the restroom, it was audible, and I apologize. <laughs> The weird thing is that you take the mic with you because it is not something you need to take. I was, you could have just I, dropped your headphones. It was mid-conversation, and I was panicking. I was, I was tied in. I, I didn't know what to do. Well, we know what to do going forward. Uh, anyway, uh, so, Jeff, Miles Morales, yes or no? Good. Yeah, game. I love it. You like it's, it? Uh, yeah, Recommend it's it. fantastic. You get to play Spider-Man. Um, you get invisibility and venom blasts and all of the... So, the one thing that's holding me back from getting it so far i'm definitely going to but is the spider-man ps4 game that came out in what 2018 2017 something like that um was my favorite game of that year like i really loved it i beat it in like a week which is fast for me i don't play video games that fast um but it was already felt like kind of a short story and then they're advertising or like they're basically marketing this one as kind of a shorter story. And I'm like, how much shorter can it get? Like that, that first Spider-Man game was not that long of a story mode. You yeah. know, I guess if I went and played all the side missions first, which actually I did try to like play most of the side missions first because I wanted to unlock a lot mm-hmm. of the skins. And that game was fun to zip around New York city and play the side missions. They were just as fun as the story missions, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't. I just I like that them saying like, "Oh, this is a shorter game," is throwing me off because I was like, "Wow, I already thought the first one so was really the, short." The so how much? Thing like, how short is, is they, this? They change the the atmosphere a little bit. Like Miles Morales when he swings around, the way that he swings, they definitely tried to adopt it to more of a style of like the Into the Spider Verse animated film. Like a lot of the times when he swings, stylized, he will go inverted so instead of always facing the same way he will flip around and face it in kind of an inverted way which i think is supposed to symbolize one him being different than peter parker but it's also supposed to show that same like iconic moment from into the spider-verse in which it shows him inverted against the skyline um which is like the best shot from that film um is this in any way a comment on how much shorter the game is no I was just talking about the game okay. in general. So we just changed I subjects I after I made beat the game yet. I can't comment on how short it is. And like I said, the majority of the time I've been okay. playing has been on the side missions. Um, so that's your recommendation this week. You you think people definitely. should go out and get it? Definitely. I think it's worth it. It's what fifty dollars yep. American. So, um, I mean, I don't think we have any international. Listeners, <laughs> I was about to say, are we, qual- we uh, are we clarifying <laughs> that for our international viewership over here? Yeah, eventually we they may want to know. Um, <laughs> Uh, Brian, what have you, what have you been checking out? I'll try to uh, do mine in bullet points because I feel like this week I have a potential to really run up the time on on how much I've been consuming. Uh, so real quick, uh, shows I finally finished Legend of Korra. Yes, I know her love interest. Yes, it is a woman. Anyway, That's interesting. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, leave it. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I thought it was interesting. I'm totally you know happy with that. I thought it was it was an interesting ending. I thought. That last season, I'm going to level with you, had a potential for a lot more action. It had action, but I thought it had a potential for a lot more action. And and instead, it was like this uh, coming full circle storyline of Korra's that 
I you know I I'm I was ready for it to be over. Although I'm not I'm not going to say a whole lot of negative about it. I thought it was good. So um, and then uh, from there, um, I picked up the recommendation from these guys, which was Blood of Zeus on Netflix. And now I can't even watch that without my wife because she's liking it. So uh, that show is pretty awesome. It was cool to see, you know, a lot of the Greek uh, you know myths like played out like in an actual action sequence that wasn't Disney's spin on it because you know for those who don't know the Disney version of Hercules while my favorite Disney movie is wildly inaccurate um, and I thought this they had a lot more accuracies which I appreciated um, uh, mainly in regard to Zeus and the Olympians taking on the Titans and, and that whole depiction and I think it's episode two maybe um, but Definitely, you were right. There's a lot of um, kind of a nod to the Immortals movie in in the way that Zeus is like this old man hanging out with them, and he's just this guy that's clearly destined for greatness, and he's got his single mother that's been shunned by society that he's protecting. It was very much a rip off of that, but I was cool yeah. with it, uh, and and we're enjoying it right now. I don't know if I've seen yeah. many cartoon like animation shows this violent. Um, like you see people's heads getting cut off and stuff. Like I haven't seen any good any anime. Yet, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't have as much experience with that stuff. So, uh, loving that so far. I highly recommend blood of Zeus on Netflix. Uh, moving on. Um, I have been getting more time in, in games. I actually sat down yesterday with the full day of nothing going on and beat shadow of Colossus. Finally, I'd, I'd had two Colossi sitting there waiting for my vent sweet vengeance I guess not really vengeance. It's more like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I don't Love know. Labor. For those who don't know, Shadow of Colossus is, a, is an old game from what, PS2 yep. days, guys? Yep. Where um, you're a, a character named Wander whose love has died. And you take her to these forbidden lands to go find a spirit who you've heard is uh, capable of bringing people back from the dead. And he tells you, yeah, I'll bring her back from the dead, but you have to kill these 16 colossi that are imprisoning pieces of my soul. And so you go around this land that is completely void of anything other than like squirrels and shit or like salamanders. So there's no other people to fight. There's no other people to interact with. There's no other bad guys. And you just go find these 16 colossi and you go kill them one by one. And each one is this like epic battle, really epic settings. Everything's just really grand and large and beautiful. And they have a, a remastered version on PS4, which is just that much more beautiful with the uh, the better capabilities of the console. But that uh, PS4 remaster is incredible. I, I yeah. had a snow day away from work about two years ago and Brian had just given me uh, the game for my birthday. And uh, I just spent the whole day Yep. playing Shadow of the Colossus beat Gorgeous. it in like 14 hours and was just like blown away by Gorgeous. how yep. by how amazing it was. I, I will say I I finally took the time to try to mess with like the, the camera settings with Anna helping me because she's more tech savvy than me. There's no fixing it. Their, their cameras are no. terrible. It's awful. The horse riding's awful. It is absolutely miserable trying to get around. It's very archaic, but it doesn't ruin the game. Yeah, so if you play the game, it feels like you're playing a PS2 game with better graphics. It's an added level of difficulty that, like, kind of makes you have to work on, on. I mean, it's like a skill. By the end of the game, like, the camera is not inhibiting your abilities. You know what I mean? Like, it, especially when you play it 
like I did. And, and you know what? I said 14 hours, but I think I really just did it in the in a work day because I did it. I started right after Kelly left for work, and I finished when she uh, when, by the time she was home. So, um, but yeah, I just like when you play it in all one day. At first, you're like, man, this camera is brutal. Um, but by the end of it, it was like, okay, I know how to yeah, you use get, you the get, camera you to your it. advantage. It is not a deterrent for playing the game. Um, just, you know, if you pick it up on my glorious recommendation, be warned, it does feel like you're playing a PS2 game on a PS4. Um, it, but at the same time, it's it's epic. It really feels like you're accomplishing something when you take out each guy. It's it's a, an incredible game to, to have played. We should move on from that because i think we're probably going to want to do a favorite games episode and that's That's really high on my list that's fine um and then other than that uh dabbled a little bit with kingdom hearts 3 um i'm not going to get into that too much but never going to get into that game yeah (laughs) it's anyone's favorite (laughs) it's another one from i think ps2 days um that took way too long to get the final part of the story and so I got it, and I'm now trying to get through the ending. But like, I'm playing through like Frozen and and uh, Big Hero Six worlds that I just don't really care about because those are past my my age group of, of caring about those kind of kid movies. So uh, anyway, it's still fun, it's still a little bit fun for the nostalgia, but that's wearing off really quickly, and I'm just trying to get to the end. Uh, right, what do you got? What do you got to say about Frozen? You got problems with Frozen? I, no, I don't. I'm just too old to care about it. Wow. And I don't Big have man. children, so I'm like too old to Big care about man, it, but then huh? not old enough to care about it. You know what I'm saying? Too big. Too big. Man, not liking Frozen. (laughs) Uh, Okay. But, uh, and then then lastly, uh, we played some Dead by Daylight last night that I wanted to mention because I wanted to get Tyler's take uh, live on the recording about what he thought. And then uh, Jeff and I wrapped up the night playing uh, Elite Dangerous, the space exploration game, which is amazing. Play that if you like space and shit. So wait, should I get Elite Dangerous? That sounds more up my alley than... Okay, so real quick. I liked dead by daylight or whatever it was fun um that game is so stressful my anxiety was f- through the roof you're i like had to like trying to get away from a killer in like a in a closed setting and you're trying yeah. to repair More these engines work together or like generators to try and escape to get the exit doors open and this guy's running around trying to kill you it's crazy i had to like decompress after i got off the game with you guys last night i had to like just like chill for a second before I like went up to bed I was like whew man that is a stressful game it's like my heart was beating too fast but I liked it it was fun but is Elite Dangerous sounds more my speed I swear alright I swear to be honest is so what the I one meant. downside so, to Elite Dangerous is so, it's very easy to get away from the people that you're trying to play with so like Brian and I like hopped on to play last night and it took us an hour to want get inside the same system and then modify our ships to be able to be equivalent so that we could travel at the same speed and then another additional hour for us to travel to the place that we wanted to go to to see. And that was... Jesus like it's, Christ. How well, late so did you guys on, stay up on. last night? You're misrepresenting night. that because it's, it literally takes that long in the beginning when you're trying to re-remember how to do everything. Once you got it down, it's quick. And it's like, put it this way. The, what I will say about it is there's not a whole lot of opportunity to interact with other players. Like, you're out in space. It's, it, it's like it, what it would be if you had a spaceship and you were floating around in space, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of other people out there. And so, you know, probably, probably not. So I think a lot of that game is just about the isolation and, and being out in the vastness of space. But I got to tell you, man, you don't play it for the interactions. You play it for getting to go see crazy stuff and the scale and like going out into space. I, I turned to him last night and was like, Hey, there's, there's two real good ways to make money. I don't need to get too in depth, but one is, exploring unknown galaxies and the other one is mining 
uh, asteroids. And I told him the mining asteroids part, like while it's more profitable, it, it takes away the fun. It's just it's just really particular and, and not fun. So I said, hey man, if we're gonna play this together, we got to do the exp- exploring part, even if it's not as profitable. He's like, cool. So I'm like, hey man, let's go see Betelgeuse, which is like one of the largest stars known to mankind. He's like, cool. So we gear up. And obviously, like he said, it took a little bit to kind of get our, our feet back under us. But once we did, we were blasting through. And, you know, so I don't think going forward it's going to be that issue if we play regularly. But um, we get to Beetlejuice, and this star is massive. I mean, the other stars are massive, too. And it'll take you minutes to fly around one, even in a spaceship that's got super crews and stuff. But you get to Beetlejuice, and this thing is unbelievable. And that's not even the biggest star. We're going to go check out some of the other ones. You can go check out the Sol system and go see Earth. We haven't got there yet. Um, like I said, you can go see the Voyager 1 um, spacecraft that's out in space, the furthest known man-made object out in space. Um, you know, you can go do all kinds of stuff. So it, I think it's a blast. You have to like space. You have to be willing to kind of figure things out because in the beginning it can get kind of frustrating. But once you get your feet under you, and, you know, if you like space, I think it's a blast and a, and a great experience. And it's just really picturesque and, and gorgeous. Tyler, if you're looking to play a space game together, we can all try Elite Dangerous. That's more like cooperative-based combat type thing. You mean the game that he I mean, literally sorry, just said? Uh, EVE Online. Would... Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'd be down for some EVE. I'd be down for some... You guys We've never played that it. too? I fuck, I fuck with EVE. I fuck with EVE. I got it on my phone, a little app, but I don't play it very often. You guys are crazy. All right, um, we'll do a games episode where we can talk about all that. Um, Brian, with all of your newfound time, oh, Brian finished his master's semester, quarter, whatever. Term. So he's got a lot of extra yeah. time. Yeah, I have um, time until January. So so maybe he'll finish uh, his comic book homework. Hmm. Suddenly feeling really busy. <laughs> uh, Blood of Zeus, I'm going to check it out this week for sure. Uh, but I'm going to jump in real quick with two really short uh recommendations because brian just spent a half hour on all of his guys we gotta these to like once a week or something or one uh, recommendation (laughs) per week or something guys you can't just come with like a a book um i watched wayne did i already mention this i mentioned it no you have not mentioned on the podcast i'm just want to point out that both of my recommendations I'm, i'm just the best advice giver here i thought it was fine uh, well, that's just because we watch your rec- people's recommendations, Jeff. You just don't pay attention to what anyone else recommends. I've already seen. You guys the didn't that you watch. Recommend. That's not true, because I got another one that you haven't watched. I know you haven't. Continue. Um, I watched Wayne. It's fine. I didn't love it. It's very much for like a younger generation than mine than me. Um, I liked it while I was watching it. I thought it was fun, but then after after it was over, I was just kind of like, eh, forgettable. Like. It's just a coming-of-age love story that I feel like I would have really loved if I was in high school, you know? But I'm definitively not in high school. Um, so, or decidedly not, at least. Uh, yeah, but it was fine. I, if you want to watch it, it's very easy to watch. It's only like 30-minute episodes. Um, I found a new TV show on Netflix. Well, I was recommended by a podcast I listened to from Australia. It's called the Auntie Donna Big Ol' House of Fun, which is a sketch variety sketch show on Netflix by an Australian sketch comedy troupe uh, called Auntie Donna. That is, uh, it's pretty funny. I recommend it. That's all I have to say. Just go check it out. It's pretty good. Um, And then I started reading a comic book actually today. Um, I like this comic book author. I mean, artist, uh, Riley Rosmo. 
he's done a bunch of weird stuff um he had a book called bedlam which is about a serial killer sort of like the joker um and it's from his point of view and it's really crazy and i've liked his art ever since it's like really weird and creepy and sort of tim burton inspired really long and spindly um i found a book of his that's on comiXology unlimited so i borrowed it and have been reading it today called deathbed uh that i really recommend it's about uh, a sort of indiana jones type character who uh is dying and he wants to have his story told so he hires an author a ghostwriter to come help him write his book and then he takes her on a whirlwind adventure to prove that like he's not lying about his crazy life and it's weird and i like it and then he also did uh hellblazer uh at the end of the new 52 i think um and uh he just did the art on those um but i like his hellblazer which is the john constantine comic book it's it's pretty good um deathbed is also written by joshua williamson who did uh birthright and also the flash he's been on the flash since rebirth yeah he's a good author um so yeah those are my recommendations all right brian what are we talking about this week what's our main what's our main uh topic of discussion yeah it's my my choice this week i stayed simple um we're gonna each um come to the table with our three favorite movies and we'll just go around name one movie uh each and like you know take a turn naming a movie and then you kind of give a few sentences on on what you like about it or what why you think it's you know it, we're not really defending it as a, a top movie ever but just why it's your favorite and then the other two guys will have a chance to i don't know bash it or agree if, if they think you're just spot on with your pick and then uh, coming out with only attacks even if i like the movie you, I'm you'll coming get for you you'll get a chance <laughs> i'm gonna you'll win get a, this argument you'll get a chance to respond and then we'll just move on to the next person's selection and, and we're just going to go around three times so i would say let's not dive too deep into any one of them but i have a feeling that's not going to hold up <laughs> yeah we'll see all right who's first who do you want to go first uh jeff go first sure uh since i inspired this week by <clears throat> telling my brothers that my personal favorite film of all time is goodwill hunting uh i love it uh it's i i love the acting performances i i, mean, I think i saw it when i was pretty young i don't know like 14 15 um at the time i related to the character of being this kind of uh i don't know kid of potential and uh you know that was squandering it and this person that was kind of uh i don't know i, I related to the character and, and i think that's what made me first fall in love with the movie and the more times that i've watched it i i just continue to fall deeper in love with the film i can watch it i don't know a lot I've seen it many times and I plan on seeing it many more times. Um, Wait, is that okay? So I'm going to guess that's Michelle Gondry is the director, right? No, it's Gus Van Sant. Oh, that's right. Damn it. All right. Anyway. Uh, Duh. Do you have more to say? So stupid. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, uh, the acting performance of uh, uh, Matt Damon and. Uh, Robin Williams, who's typically a comedic actor, I mean, he's used to such a uh, good effect in this film. It is, I think it's his best acting performance, in my opinion, um, to that one or, or uh, Dead Poet Society. Um, no, no, it's Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, it's good. It's Goodwill Hunting. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to. I'm going to promote them real quick called Total Reboot, and uh, they used to have a podcast called The Blank Slate, where you like watch whatever movies you haven't seen before and talk about them and uh 
they are very funny uh you should check out that podcast if you like movies um but they talk about robin williams performance in that uh in that he's so funny that he won an or he he won an oscar for best supporting actor for that film by bombing because the the scene that got him the oscar is the one where he talks about his wife farting and how it's not a good joke and that that's why he got like he got the actor because he's such a good comedian he can pretend to not be funny i don't know they just go off on a whole bit about how he bombed in that joke and that won him the oscar it's very funny sure. every time i think about that uh, movie that's what i think i don't about know how, how do you guys feel um, about how do you guys feel about goodwill hunting it's a great movie I mean, it's very much a coming-of-age movie for young men who feel like they're too smart for this world or whatever, right? Like, all of us, I'm sure, fall into that at, have fallen into that at one point where we were like, I'm too smart for this, and nobody respects how smart I am, and I'm right. just underappreciated. And then is objectively the smartest. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then you just you watch this guy, and you're like, well, I'm not that smart, but yeah. <laughs> and I could do that. <laughs> all right, well, um, I get, and you got more, Tyler? No, go ahead. I was going to say, I guess I got to be the voice of opposition here. Um, I mean, let's just, I don't know, where do I start here? Let's just start with the title. I mean, how stupid of a title that is. Goodwill Hunting. I mean, it's confusing. It's like, is it good? Is it a movie about like donating to Goodwill? Or like, is it a movie about somebody hunting? Like, it throws me off. You know what I mean? He's and, hunting for Goodwills. <laughs> <laughs> He's no, driving around the city just looking for a Goodwill. Yeah. He can't oh, find a Buffalo yeah. Exchange. <laughs> this guy, no matter how smart he is, he can't find a Goodwill anywhere in town. <laughs> That's why he's doing all the calculations. He's trying to figure out how fast he needs to go in a certain direction it's, it's to ridiculous. get to Goodwill before like, it closes. How it's hard crazy. is it to find a Goodwill? They're all over the place. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's really not that First hard. off. Uh, you know, second off like hey funny man robin williams like be more funny like what's with all the drama scenes that are like tear jerking like like bringing out my emotions like that's not that you want me to, to out- hear about your dead wife farting yeah. you that's not funny I'm robin sorry, robin but it is your fault okay you need you need to make me laugh robin <laughs> i'm yeah. just kidding rest in peace that guy's amazing and he killed it in that movie movie overall i think is great i was i was just joking around because i don't think there's gonna be a whole lot of criticisms here um I think that quick, uh, we, I want to I want to quickly just jump in and criticize your choice for a favorite movie. Your favorite movie? How many times have you watched it? Like a lot? It's over a dozen, I would say. Your favorite movie is like a sad drama. I actually really enjoy sad movies. Um, so do I, not, but I don't watch them over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So like, how many, I, how many times have seen, you seen Titanic? No, I don't like Once, Titanic. I, I don't even consider that movie sad. Like, there's people what? Who are annoying. What? Um, all of them should die. Like the Notebook, <laughs> I don't consider the Notebook a sad movie. Yet. I don't know. Um, Unless the life raft sank, I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Like I've seen. I consider uh, the Notebook. It, Brian, is Notebook on one of on your list? Because I know you like no, that movie. I, I, I don't have. Okay. The, I didn't have the balls to put that on there. Although it could make the list. I could make. The I know you like that movie a lot, and I just really quickly that it's movie is about a stalker and a woman with like uh, Stockholm syndrome. I watched what? I was explaining it to Kelly the other day and it's literally like a man who's like if you don't go out with me I'm gonna kill myself and she's like okay well, fine and then, okay I can't let that go un- unresponded to uh, no I uh, feel like you can really th- rewrite that movie or like recut it as like a horror film like I really feel like it's like Maybe. one step away from Maybe. being a horror I'm film <laughs> but I'm sorry but if any argument portrays that woman as the victim of the film i can't buy it because lon hammond of hammond cotton 
is the true victim. That's uh, is that James Cyclops. Marston? Yeah, James yeah, Marston. Yeah. That the guy's the most victim. infamous cuck in history. Yeah, that guy's the victim. Okay, because not only did he get cheated on after giving her a great life, but then he said, "I'll take you back and not make a big deal out of it. Just come back to me." And she still leaves his ass. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nope. I, I won't accept it. She's not the victim. Lon Hammond, you deserve better. Anyway, yeah, let's get back to it. He needs to have a movie where he's not, where he, like he leaves a woman or something, because <laughs> he's he's literally like the good guy that finishes last in every role. <laughs> Don't, I don't know what it is. He might actually have like a cuck fetish or something. I wonder if he I enjoyed. Know. I wonder if he laughed when he read the script for Westworld, and he's just like, seriously, like uh, I'm, I'm permanently in this role. <laughs> over and over and over again. I'd never God. thought about it until right now, but it's really. True. He's also in a movie called Straw Dogs, which is a remake of a movie from the '70s where his wife, I think, is Sienna Miller, and she like is bored in their relationship and she like is like kind of flirting with the men of the town and then they come to kill him and he has to kill all the men to defend his wife's honor and i think it was him being like i'm not a cuck i'll fight them all <laughs> yeah so so real quick on google hunting uh if you haven't seen it it's a classic it's definitely one of those that you're not going to want to be the person at the uh I don't know, cocktail party or book club or whatever the hell you talk about movies. At. I guess not a book club, movie club where uh, you haven't seen <laughs> it. because talk about movies at it'll, book clubs. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. Um, there's a lot to digest there, but it's it's some really good acting performances and a really compelling story. Yeah. And uh, Brad, Brad, no, Ben Affleck is very funny. He's comedic it's, relief. He's very funny. He's very funny in it. It's really good to see him do something like that. You don't ever see him do another role where he's like funny like that. Um, and uh, they wrote that movie together, which yeah, I think in, is in college. I think yeah, together in college. Like that was the beginning. Like they both were like kind of already like up and coming actors, and they were trying to do their own screenplay. And like they did, and then they got uh, Gus Van Sant to direct it, and they you know came out with a bang and then they've both have been you know leading men ever since no matter what we can't get rid of ben affleck he keeps making yeah. bad movies matt damon was that guy in uh, thor ragnarok right he he is in thor ragnarok. isn't he also in uh euro trip i feel like that was one of his big movies he is in euro trip he also <laughs> he also is in deadpool 2 i knew i saw cable, that guy somewhere else yeah, when Cable comes from the past or from the future in Deadpool 2 and there's the those two hillbillies drinking beer yeah. one of them is Matt Damon he's got a pretty incredible <laughs> list of like cameos. he loves to just show up in uncredited roles in, like, but I feel cameos. like I would be the same way as a celebrity I'd uh, be like just put me in there don't pay me real, real brief side I, I saw like an advertisement of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon advertising like a studio sweepstakes where if you win the competition you get to come out and hang with them and the advertisement actually made me laugh Pass. my ass off um <laughs> Because like they were riffing on each other like super funny like he was like oh Ben Affleck come, come hang out with Batman and Matt Damon's like wait Robert Pattinson's gonna be there <laughs> <laughs> I don't know That's it cracked funny. me up yeah they're like best friends to this day which I think is actually cool I think that's cool cool little right, who's next we can all get behind all right just Brian, stand next to just stand next to um, all right what's cool. your first of the three yeah mine's gonna be the obvious one that you know I can't believe no one said this already but uh Trump, the second choice has gone i'm gonna go ahead <laughs> right that's my point i'm gonna go ahead and lock in uh uh what is troy 2004 i just how dare you, you? let me I, let I'm me talk have so much to uh, say I, I, about I, your choices you don't, I you, feel you, don't like. get, you don't get to talk yet it's my turn still <laughs> all right 2004 a little known movie well 
you know, it's actually a Ooh, major motion photo. picture, mo- <laughs> motion picture <laughs> uh, called Troy came out. Uh, you you might have heard of some of the guys on the cast that would start off with my leading man, uh, Bradley Pitt, um, you know, Eric Bana. Uh, you know, uh, I actually probably can't name anybody else, but <laughs> Orlando Bloom. Uh, Wait, who plays Patroclus? It's the guy from Tron Legacy. What's that yeah. guy's name? Just call him Tron. Uh, here, look <laughs> it up. He's not Tron in that movie. Just Tron. <laughs> Just Tron. <laughs> it's Tron. <laughs> Is it uh, Sam let's, something? Yeah, so Tron's in it. Uh, <laughs> I don't see it. Let's see. Patroclus. See full cast. I'm looking it up right now because we need to know what, what Tron's real name is. He's also in uh, that terrible pan G- movie. Garrett, with Garrett Hedlund. That's right. I actually like him, but he's in yeah. only bad movies exclusively. <laughs> you know what movie, movie he's really good Troy. in? He's really good in that movie, Troy. But anyway, no, so it follows the, uh, you know, I guess the early parts of the Iliad, which I, I'll be fair. It's it's probably skewing my, my bias a little bit towards loving the movie because, you know, it's my favorite book ever. Um and I thought Dante's Inferno was your favorite book. It's toss up, man. I got a lot of favorites. Okay, favorites are really got six or seven book. top threes. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's a top three <laughs> book. It's in my top I'll, three. I'll see if you can limit your your movies to three this time. Top, I top have a three. feeling that you have a list of ten. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I I'll keep it brief, but it's it's an epic. I think you're gonna see that kind of theme with some of these selections that I throw out. But it's just an epic, you know, kind of like Odyssey style, just full-scale like grand cinematic experience they just did a really good job with just you know depicting a you know an army of you know 50,000 men you know, which at that time was just unbelievable for dudes running around with sticks that they're killing each other with and and just you know I, I thought Brad Pitt I mean I think there's a lot of a debate about you know what Achilles actually looked like but that doesn't really matter for the scope of this. I think Brad Pitt was the perfect pick for that character, like where he just Achilles as a character was just so much more than just a normal guy. And I think Brad Pitt's, you know, just plays this this great role of just you know looking cool in everything he does and looking strong and fast in everything he does and, and being able to portray like this one emotion at a time character that you know Achilles is in the book is just pure emotion and not fifty emotions at once, but he literally just experiences like one at a time as a as yeah. a literary character and i think that mostly pitt, rage yeah and <laughs> i think brad pitt rage. did a great job of bringing that to the screen i think eric bana was a great hector and let me just throw out there i've argued over and over again that one of the biggest injustices in book history is how they portray hector in the one-on-one fight in the actual iliad it's always driven me crazy i wish i could go back in time and get homer to rewrite that but um i thought the movie did a good job of paying respect to hector as a character um and actually giving him a what I would argue is the greatest fight scene in movie history. So on that alone, this deserves to be in this conversation. They make him honorable. You know what I mean? Like at, when Achilles is standing outside the wall and yelling Hector, he he's, he's not like, scared. Yep, he's he like, like takes go. it. He knows that this is his duty and he knows yep. that he's going to his death. He, yeah. he goes and he goes to fight and he does a good job. Really, for, like for he, those like who don't know, him... Hector in the book kills hundreds and hundreds of guys and is this great warrior defending his city and defending his wife and child. But then all of a sudden, one guy stands outside the gate. and Yeah, it's the greatest fighter in history. But Hector comes out and then just runs around the city ten times before, like away from him in, in pure fear, giving up everything that he knows and loves and, and wants to protect. Like has just totally thrown that to the wind because he's so afraid. And then he ends up getting killed like from behind. And it's like, to me, it's super in, in unjust. It doesn't do the character justice. I thought the movie did a good job of changing that narrative. 
Let's not forget that Hector was also wielding a 10 meter long bronze spear as he was running. Which, which is ridiculous. It's a comical sight. Ten but anyway, this is so long. <laughs> but anyway, you know, is on top of having three feet, that's yeah. 30 feet of spear. <laughs> of bronze. <laughs> of bronze. I thought, I thought uh, you know, the casting was great. You know, Achilles was cast perfect. Hector was cast perfect. Um, honestly, I was okay with the uh, Helen of Troy one. I think that's a tough role to, to fill because she's supposed to be the most beautiful woman in history. And I thought, what? They got pretty close. She's yeah, really, she's I gorgeous. forget that actress's name, and, but she's so beautiful. And they needed kind of a, you know, a girly guy to play uh, uh, Paris, and they, and they found him in, in Legolas. <laughs> that very, very beautiful man. <laughs> it has one thing that no other film has, and that is Sean Bond living all the way to the credits. Um, so yes, funny. actually. It's funny because he's standing at a funeral pyre. He's in. not on the funeral pyre, so I can appreciate that, actually. Honestly, that, that alone. That cast is pretty incredible for a movie Stacked. that kind of just came and went that nobody really seems to care about except for Brian. I love that <laughs> no, movie. I like it. I don't I don't dislike the movie, but no one really like have you ever heard anyone else talk about Troy ever? <laughs> I don't think I ever have besides us. Um but uh I mean the guy who plays Menelaus is uh Brian Brandon Cox. Gleason, what? No, go ahead. Uh Brendan Gleeson is in it as well. He plays Menelaus is Brendan Gleeson. Oh, okay. Who's uh, Brian Agamemnon. Cox is Agamemnon. Agamemnon. That's right. Uh, and then the guy you got Ajax in there is another actor that I recognized. I can't remember who it is now. Um, I've been a long time. I got you. It's Tyler Maine. Oh, the wrestler. He's uh yeah. He's a professional wrestler, which I don't watch wrestling, but I know that that's what he was. Um, and then you got Sean Bond. Scene Bean, Sean Bean. You got Ned Stark himself playing Odysseus. Oh, how good would a sequel have been with him yeah. as Odysseus? That would have been amazing. Yeah, I he was would, an I awesome would, Odysseus. I would love just do for the that Odyssey. To have yeah. Diane Kruger, Eric Bana, Orlando Diane Bloom, Kruger, Brad Pitt. Oh, Eric Bana big names, so dude. Big yeah, names. Such... And then you got uh Patroclus. <laughs> Tron. Garrett Tron. Garrett so here's the problem I have. Patroclus. <laughs> with um I have a problem with the movie and with the the book. I always thought this was dumb. In all of the Tro the Battle of Troy, so many men die. And like you're running around stabbing people in the neck and cutting arms off and killing everybody. Then Hector faces down who he thinks is Achilles and kills him. Then finds out that it's Patroclus, and then they just stop fighting because they're like, "Oh no, you killed Achilles!" It's like the war just stops for a day because hey, they killed that the, kid's the not wrong 18? guy. Oh, yeah, fuck. like what the fuck? You're about to sack a city and rape women, but like yeah. because there's a boy, and it's not even in the book. It's he's not, not a boy. No, it's not he's though. Achilles' lover. So so hold on. So yeah. So technically, you know, in the book, it's. It, Obviously, they don't outright say it, but there's a lot of stuff that says that Achilles and him had a love relationship, so you're right there. But it's not because he's a boy. It's because, it, you know, it's their, of their respect for Achilles. Yeah, it's who, they, they who he means to Achilles. That's, but that's just how important dumb. that it's character this, is. It's this weird hero worship that I, do, I just I struggle with in those ancient Greek texts. And yes, they don't have the same story structure. They didn't have all the fiction of of the years behind and that's literally that literally is the description of ancient greek texts is hero worship that's all they are is worshiping i know the heroes. but it's frustrating i just 
if they lived in a militaristic I know you society, love the they had to glorify it so that everyone it's, would sign It's just up. an ancient version of, you know, like, I, I was just watching uh, The Liberator on Netflix the other day. Oh, by the way, that's another good one. Um, I was just watching The Liberator on Netflix, and the it's about no World War... I have what that is. It's a, it's a good new show that's just come out. But anyway, the German SS officer drives up in his truck to the American line... You know, the captain comes out and then they just, he's like, Hey, I just wanted to propose a 30 minute truce so that we can all get our dead off the battlefield. And he's like, Cool, no problem. And then they're all just like walking past each other, talking shit to each other while they're all cleaning their dead off the yeah, battlefield. That did World happen all the time. Right. And that's, that's what true. I'm saying is it's not that unlikely that like these guys at that time would have respected this exalted hero enough to cause, pause the fighting and let him just go murder everybody. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> I think that's dumb. But okay. It's definitely uh, a drama. It's definitely a drama. Dramatization also, I'm or whatever. surprised that you would like it with how much they change the text. Like they, they really don't stick to the text of the Iliad. Like they move things around all kinds. I th- yeah, but I, my argument is I think they got the right parts of it, and then the yeah, stuff that I didn't true. like about the text they changed to something better. That's why I like. I mean, it. the same could be said about uh, Lord of the Rings. Like they, they get the heart and soul of it, in my opinion. Like exactly right for me, at least. Um, they may move things around and change characters and combine characters and whatnot, but I, I think they get to the heart of what it is. So, um, all right. Is it Jeff? Do you have more to say about Troy? We can move nope. on. All right. So let's see what I wrote down. I already don't remember. All right. I'm going to start with, uh, the easy one that you guys both know, and it's going to be, it's a stereotypical, uh, favorite movie of people from my generation, but I think I like it in a different context. Uh, Fight Club, directed by David Fincher, 1999, I think. I think uh, when the movie came out, it was a box office bomb. Nobody went and saw it. It was horribly reviewed. People did not like it. And then in the years immediately uh, coming from that, um, he it, it was found and developed a cult following and now is considered, you know, a classic. Um, it is made fun of because I think if you've read the book, you know the story to be a uh, basically to mock masculinity and David Fincher didn't really do enough to show that in the book or in the movie because that's not who David Fincher is right he's not he's not a satirist he doesn't make commentary on on things like that that's not the kind of thing that he does he just tells a story um, but I think that he does a good job in my opinion of doing that like you still see like the the masculinity being mocked and you see these men being like thinking that they're tough and fighting each other but really being weak and like needing to follow you know and you see these it's also really a commentary on like how a religion can be formed or a cult can be formed and like how it's a weak mind that follows right and i think that he does do a good job of that if you watch if you really pay attention granted if you've just watched the movie one time then yeah it's easy to skip over that and think oh it's just a glorification of masculinity but i don't think that that's what he intended it as i think he read it correctly i just don't think that david fincher's style lends itself to that kind of satire um but david fincher is one of my top three directors um and i just there's no way i was going to not have him on this list and i think of his movies that's the one i've definitely seen the most i actually just watched it for the first time in probably five years and i still literally know every line and the timing and the line reading like i know every single thing that's going to happen in that because i've seen it so many times and you Um, you are too fucking blonde yeah great um so yeah go ahead yeah i mean i I, I hadn't really considered the whole concept of the 
people thinking they're strong but really being weak but just putting it in context of the film i mean the main character spoilers um literally being the leader while also being a follower is such a good twist of him just also having this desperation to lead when or to follow when everyone else is following him and he doesn't even fucking know it um it's brilliant yeah, yeah, he can like only lead when he's not actually in control of it. <laughs> Look, I can't knock on it too much um, because I really enjoy that film. But I will say the one thing I'll give anyone that hasn't watched it yet is it's the kind of movie you have to watch more than once. Like a lot of these that I'm ar- like I'm arguing for, and I think we all are, are movies that you sh- you're going to want to watch more than once. But this is one where the first time you watch it, you're going to miss stuff. I feel like every time I watch it now, I... I like oh i never didn't even notice that so this is one where it's like not only are you going to have to pay really close attention to kind of keep up with it because all of a sudden the twist at the end you're gonna be like what the hell just happened but um i think there's these these little details that you start noticing on rewatch you know that that make it the one out of probably this whole list although i haven't heard everyone's you know all their nominations yet um that you're you're not only going to need to pay close attention the first time but you're going to want to watch this one you know not back to back to back a bunch of times but just over time as you rewatch it you're gonna pick up new things yeah i mean i think yeah and and even even with as many times it's probably the movie it's probably tied at least with another movie that's on this list is like the movie i've seen the most like i just i can i just i still to this day i can just rewatch it like it's just so watchable and i just think that that's I mean, that's one of the reasons uh, before the podcast started, I told my brothers to look up the directors of the films. Brent, we didn't actually talk about it. Who's, who directed Troy? Oh, um, I pulled that up here. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Okay, that's great. He does he does a lot of epics like that. I actually knew that. I mean, your name's Wolfgang. You're pretty epic in general. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's actually he's actually a really good director. Um, but uh, the, the reason I wanted... Oh man, I lost what I was going to say. The reason I wanted you guys to come back to me, whatever. Um, doesn't matter. This is just a movie that I lost it. <laughs> I literally can't find it. It's somewhere in my head. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I just think that this movie is, it's, it's it's just really good and as much as people like now it's become uncool to like fight club i think that that's dumb i think that that's what? just people being like oh yeah if you're like in the movie community and like film reddit and film twitter and uh you listen to a lot of podcasts they will talk shit about fight club about how like it's overdone and like too many people like it and blah 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 so that's just but, people trying to take opposition and be the 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 dissenting yeah, the opinion cool guy. It's they're trying to be the dissenting opinion that's stupid it's counterculture Exactly, they're being counter. Yeah, they're going for everyone out there. Don't be counterculture. Be counter counterculture. Uh, be culture. It's cool to be square. Yes, just uh, like it for liking it. Yeah. All right, but that's just like I Troy. We... Troy. Troy fits in that as well. Okay. Anyone who doesn't like it is just a counterculture person. Troy's awesome. Not quite. Counterculturalist but, hipster. So uh, let's see. My second choice is a film I, I don't know how much of it is that's an opinion I don't know I feel like all these films are just kind of universally loved but my second favorite film of all time is Shawshank Redemption dude I somehow I knew you were gonna say that I don't know what I was like this dude's gonna say Shawshank what is that? I've talked about just these films it. I don't think I have ever watched that movie with you I don't think I knew that you liked it <laughs> but I just somehow was like this dude's gonna say something about Shawshank right now <laughs> I Shawshank I, Redemption I, uh, I don't know I, I think 
it's a fantastic performance from all characters. Um, Tim Robbins, I can't tell you a single other thing that he is in. And I can Green tell Lantern. you, what? He's in Green Lantern. He's in, okay. I, yeah, I blocked plays, that out apparently. Uh, he plays Hammond's the father. bad guy's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> I know that he's in an HBO <laughs> show called uh, The Breach, which is super funny, but. Um, no, that movie was not funny. It's not that a movie, movie it's a TV bad. show. I mean, that show was bad. It got canceled like it halfway through its first season. Which show um, is It's called uh, the, the Breach or The Brink. It's called The Brink. That's what it was. That's what it was. The Don't brink. even remember the name. I get it. I get it. It's, 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 that I shit. Anyway, um, yeah, Shawshank, yeah, universally loved. I mean, many people. I mean, it's, it's up there on IMDb's like greatest films of all time. I think it might actually be number one. Um, that's another thing I was going to say. It's... It's one of the best movies ever made, but it's like, and I agree fully, but I have only seen it like twice because it's too much. Like it's too, I can't believe like all of your top, all of your ones are movies that I've seen once or twice. And I'm like, never, I have no, like, is your third movie Schindler's List or something? No. Like what the fuck? No. Why are all your movies so heavy? Diary of Anne Frank, actually. I, I, I think <laughs> my third film is going to be one of Brian's second or third. So I want to leave it and, and pick something else. But, I already know what it is. Uh, but uh, Shawshank, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's such a fantastic performance. I mean, the entire concept of Tim Robbins, when you find out after the film that he's actually innocent um, and that all of the shit that he has gone through as an innocent man is just incredible. His desperation to escape and all of that um, makes it that much worse. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a heavy movie. Sorry, it's really, really, really heavy. I just, I can't believe. I'm gonna cut it out, Brian. Don't even comment on it. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to leave it in. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like cut those sneezes out there. <laughs> if, if I, uh, if I can provide another tangent, I mean, like uh, Manchester by the Sea is a movie I've seen three or four times. That movie's fucking heavy as shit. I like why? I like why? sad dramas. I don't. What's know wrong why. with you? What's wrong with you? I, like I don't this is know. revealing a lot about your problems. Right. <laughs> Jeez, I thought I was the one with depression. You're in or, a bad headspace. Uh, if you guys have seen A Monster Calls, oh my god, that movie's incredible. I have seen that. That one was good. I've seen uh, that one like three or four times. Um, that, the, that that ending of that movie was too much for me. <laughs> it's it's See, heavy. What, what Jeff wanted that it, film? It's yeah. a guy. Uh, it's ba- Bayona. Uh, what is? first name sergio rafael something like that um he's a mexican-american filmmaker or he's i think he's mexican but now he lives in america uh he's r-a j-a j-a bayona he's very good and that movie is very good and liam neeson rears his head again in this podcast i swear to god we just keep referencing liam neeson movies without talking about him neeson yeah anyway you guys don't have anything to say about about shawshank redemption literally nothing bad to say that movie is in my like if i if we were going to make a list of best movies ever not favorites because that's not what this list is uh but best movies ever that would probably be in my top three for sure i think that movie is incredible but it's not my favorite yeah okay so i'm gonna go ahead and jump in here with a dissenting opinion again so i didn't realize we were making a list of top 10 movies brian's most likely to fall asleep watching but uh, that one's definitely up. No, I'm just kidding. That one's pretty good. I, I don't know. I, I don't really get all the hype for why it's one of the greatest movies ever. But at the same time, it's it's a good movie. Um, 
you know, it's it's definitely going to be another tearjerker. And to give you guys more context, uh, Jeff, I think, might have uh, mistaken the prompt for this week because at first he was texting me telling me about, like, scenes in films that he wanted to present. And he said, yeah, I'm going to sh- talk about X-Men. And I was like, oh, you like that movie? And he's like, yeah, just that scene where Magneto's at the Holocaust camp getting his parents taken away from him. Like, I love that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. What the fuck are you talking no, no, it's I don't not know what he's talking about. Oh. <laughs> like, what happened? This I don't like any of the conversation. I don't like I any of the power stuff. I just really like depressing shit. <laughs> uh, I just like watching his parents get ripped away and then watch his 12-year-old get hit in the face with a rifle. Yeah. Really like that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, no, Shawshank's cool. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to scale it down a little bit with the praise, though. Again, I don't know why it's seen as one of the greatest of all time, although I'm not, you know, really – taking into account score and in like the scene editing and you know camera angles and, and shit when i review a movie yeah. i'm just it's, more like you look face at the value. cinematography you look at the acting you look at the writing like it's just such an epic story and it's just done so well and you feel the emotion of all the characters i just i don't know it's just, i mean it's, it's i think part of the reason it's it's grounded in like in an actual something that could happen to an american citizen it's not the iliad where you have to be this epic blessed by the gods hero like this is just the story of a man going through something that any one of us could go through and it's his fucking quest to come above it all and who is the director of Shawshank Redemption uh it's uh Gavin DeBorant or uh Jan DeBont I think that's who it is Frank Frank Darabont oh which yeah, I looked it up and like he's directed fucking nothing else besides like The Green Mile. Yeah, he's got he those two does, movies. He just only does sad Steve, movies. Wait, those are the only movies he's ever produced. He's done a just bunch of other like movies. he's done like he's done like The Fly two and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three. And I was just like, what? Yeah, like I'm just he's picturing like him making a journeyman filmmaker, and then he has two Academy Awards. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> exactly. I'm just picturing him making Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption, and those being his only two film productions ever and then him just being like cool i'm off to go be a painter later bro <laughs> that that would be sick if someone did that. <laughs> just like just two perfect like, like two please, movies that people consider some please of the make more movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> just two academy academy awards for best picture and then he just drops the mic you, and you know what <laughs> but i gotta be I, but i gotta be honest though we do kind of have that with tarantino being like i'm only making eight movies ever and then everyone's just hypes them up even if they're not that good so that's all I have to say about that. Just <laughs> moving on. Raspberry Tarantino. <laughs> Mr. I already Fetish? talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> so like anyway, him. yeah. So that's what I'm saying is like on the other side of it, you know, you can get a lot of hype from that. But anyway, um, yeah. Let's good movie, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Tyler, you're next. No, you're up. I'm ready to argue. Yeah, we, oh, you, did you come up with the, the second pattern? Story? The pattern was me. Tyler. I know you, you, it was right. Jeff, so you just Brian. said Shawshank. Oh, no, no, it is Brian. Sorry. It is Brian. Brian was next. What's your I'll problem, go Jeff? second. No, no, I'll right. go. I'll go. I'll no, go. I'll Here go. We go. So oh, another, no, no. another epic film. <laughs> no, uh, uh, uh. All right. Well, my number three. Speaking of movies that Brian's going to fall asleep during, my another, second film is Inception. By another, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> another epic. Or is that actually yours? Because we might as well just start yeah, fucking is. talking about it, asshole. It actually is. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Dan. We already talked about it, I, I think, a couple weeks ago, but I just think oh yeah for leonardo dicaprio uh i just it's probably the most rewatchable movie for me i just can't it's it was honestly it became it was it came up between prestige and 
Inception, and I chose Inception because I only wanted to put one Christopher Nolan movie on here, and uh, I just I chose Inception because I just can keep watching it. I've seen The Prestige probably you know the most, but I just I keep watching when when I'm bored or our power goes out. It's one of the only DVDs I have, so I pop that in my laptop and I put it on. Um, I just I just think it's such a good movie. I can't stop watching it, and I just yeah. I don't know. You guys got bad things to say about it? I know I wanted to go first because I knew we could just move on quick because we already talked about it and I know that you guys both like it except for Jeff. But Jeff's I was about to say, I, like, I, I do like that film, but as far as like good films go, the, the stakes of the film are pretty freaking low. Like it's just about going inside this guy's dreams to try and convince him to what? All their give lives up his are company. on the line because they're down. No. It's Stop a dream it. heist. Stop it. Stop it's it. incredible. What are you Stop talking it. about? Stop it with that shit. Like right? they go through no. all of this work just but to like put a fucking tiny little idea inside this guy's head. What are the stakes of Goodwill Hunting? That movie isn't about stakes. It's this about a janitor okay. trying to change his stars. Oh wait. That's kind of a combo of Knight's Tale and Goodwill Hunting, but yeah, it's about a janitor. <laughs> you're you're who's comparing really smart. the two films on a different yeah. metric because the Good Will Hunting isn't about, about the stakes, stakes of a film and saying that that negates yeah, its value. You just said Your what? You just said that Inception no is a heist film. It is kind of a heist film with low fucking stakes. His stakes are being able to see his family ever again. That was pretty high to me. I don't know. I just it didn't resonate with me. Like I enjoy the movie cinematically. I enjoy the film for its acting performances. But at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, do I really care if this guy uh, how undoes his fucking... mistakes? dare you like it's just one architect that fucked up his life and now he's just trying to get back to it and he's making someone else's life worse to be able to do it like i don't know if Cobb is a good person by the end of this like i i can't remember exactly what the japanese guy's motivation is for ruining uh cillian murphy's life is but he's just like hey i want you to fuck over my competitors so i can make a bunch of money also you can see your kids He's not trying to ruin anything. He's just trying to stop that guy from basically having a monopoly over the international oil market, I think is what they do. You can't even tell me. No, it's you just said it's well, your most energy. rewatched film. Like I don't watch that movie for that part of the story. It's the heist. It's the character moments with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's it's seeing how he interacts with his team. Also, if you think about okay, I'm gonna get into it. I think I've already talked to you guys about this, but that movie is not about that heist. That movie is about using dreams as a metaphor for movies and having the different characters all represent different parts of a crew. Jeff just rolled his eyes so hard I think his eyes might be stuck looking at his brain. But um, We're trying to find it. Oh, we got him! You got got Leonardo DiCaprio as a director. You got Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a producer. You got uh, Ellen Page as a writer. You got Tom Hardy as an actor. You have uh, Cillian Murphy as the or audience. Killian Murphy as the audience, and you've got Brian asleep in a chair. Like, who and you cares? have, but that's, but that's the idea, right? It's the metaphor. He, it's, it's, it's Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan writing a metaphor for what it's like to make a movie, and like the heist is them trying to put the idea in your head of this movie and make it so that you believe it, and all of the different characters they all play a part in making that happen in their own distinct way. Right? That's an and interesting like, take. If you look at it in that metaphor, it's one of the best sure. movies ever made. Sure, that, that is an interesting I can't metaphor. Look at it in that what? That, that is an interesting metaphor. I don't know where you got that from, or if you put that together yourself. That's interesting. 
I've seen that movie three times, and that thought has never once crossed my mind. Because yeah, because you you're not to, like, smart enough. That's bullshit. Look, you, this is what you did with the boys' season two with the church. If if you need to have outsider framework in order to understand the concepts that are being displayed, then you failed in portraying your concept to the audience. If I didn't pick Wait, that up did in I my do three watches. Season two. You said it was all about counter or the celebrity culture of Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. Well, that and whole show like, is about celebrity culture. And I was like, hey, guess what? I watched that move that that show in depth and did not pick that up because apparently you had to have outsider knowledge to be able to understand that pre- premise of the show. And if I have to watch the film with the metaphor already explained to me to be able to see it, then you have failed as a filmmaker in dispositing that idea onto your audience. I don't. I just don't. I, I I don't think that he's failed as a as a filmmaker because he has a hidden metaphor. I'm just saying that I can. I I noticed this. I think I I first heard someone mention it on a podcast like years ago. I don't know who it was. Uh, I wish I could credit it. But every time I've watched it since, I've been like expanding on that theory, and I genuinely believe that that's what Christopher and Jonathan Nolan were doing. That's interesting. I definitely. It's the first time I've heard it, and the next yeah. time I watch the film. So, will be with that framework and I'm sure I'll enjoy it more but watching it under the framework as from the first time I just kind of walked away from the film thinking wow all of that was kind of unnecessary so I'll agree it's not my fault you're shallow Go I'll ahead, agree Frank. that that's an interesting concept but it it feels to me like when you're in English class in high school and you're dissecting some obscure line of Shakespeare and how they're talking about how it's a narrative to him and I don't know how he's got a kink for picking his nose or whatever the hell the takeaway was supposed to be of this one stupid line from Hamlet. And you're sitting there going, I bet you if I went back in time and talked to Shakespeare, he'd be like, yeah, that wasn't it at all. I was just writing a fucking line to fill my, my play. This feels like that as well. You're, you're throwing out this theory of like how, like the components of making a movie, but where is that? What does that have to do with the film itself? Why would they even do that? What purpose does that serve to have that like little sub narrative underneath that nobody understands or nobody gets unless you sit there staring at the movie for too long it's a commentary i don't I, it's just i think that and, if you and how does that metaphor hold as up? art how does that metaphor what? hold up as the story progresses like leonardo dicaprio wakes up on the shore deeper in the framework of the dream what does that mean to your metaphor? he's gone too deep into the story that he's telling and like him not being able to write the stories is because he's too afraid of bringing too much of himself into the story who's the old That's Japanese why he has to hire Ariadne to write it Who's the old Japanese? He's, guy? he's the, the guy funding the movie. movie. Yeah, he's the studio. He's, he's Harvey Weinstein. Oh shit. <laughs> he's the studio. He no no. He he represents the studio, and that's why he's like, I'm coming along for the ride, whether you want. I'm me just to or an not. old man filled with regret. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, they still have to tell a story in the movie. It's about the metaphor. The metaphor doesn't have to be outwardly spoken. You guys are getting too deep into the weeds of the story and trying We're to prove too the metaphor deep? false. We're yeah. trying to How prove the metaphor you. false by using. Uh, okay. All right. Well, so anyway, I'm gonna. So I, hate you. Well, I wanted to ask you guys this because I was trying to explain this to Anna the other night. In movies, sometimes you'll find there's a character who it seems their sole purpose is to explain the narrative. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt in that one. What is the name of that character? Like Expositionary. When- yeah they're the exposition there you go I I was struggling with that the other night but literally if you watch that movie I'm breaking this movie for you when you watch that movie and you watch Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character he just every time he talks is he just explaining what you don't understand so like just watch like maybe just mute everyone else talking and then just listen to him and you'll get the gist of the movie 
Um, yep. You know, maybe he mentioned somewhere about being the director. I don't. I don't know. I didn't hear it. Yeah, because I reason. fell asleep to, to this movie in the theater. No, he doesn't say anything <laughs> about. Okay, look, you got Leonardo DiCaprio. He's the director, right? He's got the grand vision, but he can't move all the individual pieces. So he hires Ariadne because he, he's afraid he's going to bring too much of himself into the story, right? So she creates the world. She writes the story. She creates the narratives and establishes them. You have Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's setting up all the pieces to make it all work. You have the guy who puts them to sleep. He's the cinematographer. He actually creates the visuals of the dream. He establishes the parameters and makes so it all work. You have Tom Hardy as the actor. He's the one that keeps changing characters, changing his face. He keeps moving about. So why like, did just, the director's wife kill herself? That, that's not the. That's not part of the Do metaphor. That's wives part kill of themselves? the story of the film. <laughs> Or is the metaphor that she got lost in her own story? He's not trying. The metaphor to and the story are completely separate. I don't understand why you're bringing out the story. That's I'm not trying part to of understand your framework in the concept of the film, and it's not. Do you understand that metaphor and story are two separate parts of a of a piece sure. of art? Okay, so then stop. <laughs> but you've been able to explain every component so far, and I'm just trying. But no, to I'm complaining. Right. How, how I'm explaining how. Extends. I'm explaining how if you view it as a metaphor, these are the parts that you need. Sure. You can, like, decide, I, you can figure out the rest of it. When I asked own, about the old the Japanese story, guy, you had a solution of how he fit in the storyline. I was asking how some of it doesn't fit the narrative. So just to wrap this one up, because we're spending a lot of time on this one movie, I will say I, I can relate to this and I could see where it makes sense because uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Harry Potter is actually a narrative about the <laughs> rags you. to I don't know where you're going with fuck rags you. to riches story of, you know, modern athletes <laughs> and how they don't have parents and then they come up and they're, they're successful. And <laughs> I bet there's something there. Hermione is the reporter that just won't stop interviewing them throughout their career. And Draco Malfoy Not is the opposing team that is always, you know, like challenging them. And, and Ron is the best friend. Who all the teachers coaches. are their coaches. Uh, you know, Dumbledore is a creepy old man that spends way too much time with them when they're a little kid. But I hate you guys. Anyway, you let's move on here. Okay, so uh, my second one and the one that everyone's been waiting for is another epic. Uh, but this one's more modern. It's kind of a modern Troy in a way. More like modern Odyssey, but I'll allow it. Uh, Interstellar. Chris Nolan. We'll go ahead and stick with him. Interstellar's dope. Tyler's already Jesus. shaking his head. You guys can't see that. But uh, Interstellar's awesome. Matthew McConaughey knocked it out of the park with this one. I love space movies. This one's the epitome of space movies for me. I, I think the whole thing is great. I was like totally fine with their, their ending with the you know future human construct that allowed him to communicate into the past. I thought it was all great. Um, I thought you know from acting to cinematography to you know the storyline itself i thought it was all great i loved it go ahead uh brian i recommend you put your shields up because you're about to be attacked <laughs> <laughs> this is my least favorite christopher nolan movie i haven't seen tenet yet but this is i think this movie is not good dying to I see tenet by the way so it's a movie where the main conceit is that there's a the fourth dimension that you can travel through is love and it's a movie devoid of emotion. <laughs> it's, there's no emotion, but the whole point of it I'm is sorry. that is that love transcends time, gravity, and space. Yeah, and what's wrong no, with it? Like, I just it, that's first of all fucking dumb. Yeah, what's your I'm problem sorry. with Kingdom Hearts again? 
the same thing. <laughs> I just, I just think that that's a really dumb explanation for anything, and I just don't think that it works in this movie that is grounded in physics. Yeah, let's like, not forget that the way to get to the fourth dimension is by jumping into a black fucking hole. What? Um, what's no, your to point, fall man? through a tesseract, which is different. That's not. That's not. It. But um, it's just he. It's just I don't understand. Christopher Nolan is not a director who should ever try to work on emotion because he, I don't. I think he might be a robot. If I'm honest, how is that dumb? But an explanation of how the movie freaking Inception is actually We're is a Inception. story about making movies. It's a metaphor. We're it's off Inception. Metaphor. <laughs> you kiss my white ass. No, I'm not accepting that. That, that love is a fourth dimension. No, uh, uh-uh. that that is totally so acceptable we, under your freaking events of that scene of that moment, like where she explains that love is the fourth dimension. What was the question? Sorry. How do you defend that as like uh, as like something viable in a movie that is so it transcends time and physics. space? I'm I'm, I'm accepted in that. Like I, like for, for me, I don't see. I don't see an issue but, with that. I, I can't like apply science to it to make it make sense. But at the same time, like I'm okay with that as a concept. I'm okay with, you know, our emotion being able to like connect us across great divides and, and across, you know, things like time and space. And I'm okay with the explanation that we just don't freaking understand that yet because we're not evolved enough. So I, I accept that as, as a, a storyline. I, I don't have a problem with it. So I don't I know what else to say that about that's that. That's so weak. I just think that that's weak. I just, I don't know. I get what he was trying to do, and I think it's interesting, but I just don't think that it worked in that movie. The bet, the one thing in that movie that really worked, there was a few things, but the main thing is the uh, rogue Matt Damon appearance. <laughs> Matt I Damon, was, I yes. I remember being in the theater and just being like, what the fuck? I All did we, not know you were in this. <laughs> I, I wish that they found a way to tie it in where, you know, he, uh, Matt Damon from The Martian accidentally flew to the wrong planet and then was waiting for them to come get him. <laughs> it was very something interesting like that, to but. see. Because that think, those movies came out like a week apart. Too. Yeah, it was, it was kind of so weird, weird, but at the same time, I accepted. He I thought he did great. So Matt, Matt, yeah, in my mind, Matt Damon was good in it. Everybody was good in it. I think that all the acting was really amazing, and uh, the robot design was cool. I think. Did you guys ever read the script that got leaked online? The original script from the movie Jonathan Nolan. It's like it would have been like a four-hour movie. It's crazy. You guys should watch it or read it. It's it's way crazier um and i think it actually makes things work a little bit better but it's like at one point they go to a chinese international space station where the robots what were the robots tar tars uh i don't know so basically they're the those those uh marine navy robots or whatever they were had taken over the, the space station and like had developed like their own religion basically and they like killed all the humans on board oh, and they had to like get something on the ship and like those robots were like hunting them i think that would have been really cool but it gets really crazy um also the all those robots only speak or like are speaking in chinese for the most part when they are communicating with each other because uh, it's a chinese international space station mandarin um yeah it's a form I, of I chinese know. i i think the movie would have been much better if it ended with Matt Damon killing the other two on the three of them dying in an explosion. <laughs> I think the movie ends there. I'm like, oh, wow, it's a sad ending. Hey, we're good. Um, okay. You... I, I, I'm cool with that because as soon as they get into him jumping into a fucking black hole um, and him somehow surviving the immense pressure or a tesseract, whatever the fuck that is, um, and him just living because some intradimensional being is like no no i get to choose that you can now live in an oxygen free environment because that's what the fourth dimension is also you can see your daughter's bedroom it's not just a random interdimensional being it's 
future humans that are helping us get past our own destruction. Helping us how? How are they allowing the discovery him to create... of time travel? The, he but sends what... Tarzan and he gets the data that he needs in order to get humans off the earth. Cool. He is yeah, sitting is cool. in a space that oxygen does not exist in. He is floating in a fucking weird area and he's interacting with his daughter's bedroom. He is a human being who needs oxygen. I'm pretty sure he's in a spacesuit. He's outside of space time, Jeff. He's yeah. literally outside and of space. And he's wearing a space and suit. He's not being being affected is by of physics. pulling this human into this time instead of just knowing what needed to be done and that thing doing that thing for him. It's just okay. like, oh, I'll pull this human in and it's have a, him. It's first, it's a human construct. And second, he's wearing a spacesuit with an oxygen tank strapped to his back. And we're going to get lost, guys. We're going to get lost on this because, Jeff, I'm not going to sit here and explain theoretical physics to you. The, if there you is no theoretical, it's, theoretical it's, physics. It's bullshit. It's completely made no, up. No, it's it's 100% based on – okay, I'm going to send you the Wikipedia article. Again, this episode brought to you by Wikipedia. You <laughs> uh, know what movie now. sucks? Shawshank Redemption sucks. Let me tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, no, Jeff. I just – I look, Interstellar is good. It's a good movie. I just think it's my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I, that doesn't make it a bad movie. I just I don't think I'll ever watch it again. Or if I do, it'll be in a few years. Honestly, I might watch it tonight. I don't know. I say things, and then I and then now it's in my head, and now I want to watch it again no, and see if I can find a better. Explanation he's stuck watching Big Bang Theory. People oh can't God. get away from Big Bang. <laughs> hey, that's kind of a space concept. Anyway, Jeff, next movie. Yeah, they probably if they ever got to Interstellar, I bet that they explain the Tesseract in a way that is digestible. Yeah. So. Um, see my third film I don't know um, the movie that I have picked is 1917 I know that we've talked about it before we didn't talk about it on a but we haven't talked we about released. it on an actual uh, podcast that we published so I want to talk about it again 1917 uh, is your third favorite movie of all time I mean I, I really I would say Warrior Jeff, but I think I Brian's going to do. choose it as his third film um, but I don't know. I, I think 1917 is as we talked about. And I desperately love that film. Um, and I think it's an incredible achievement of cinematography, of acting, of the score. Like there's the, the just so every single component of that film worked to such an incredible degree uh, that it is quickly becoming one of my favorite movies. And it's enough that I think well, I want to talk about it more than any of the other films that I've enjoyed on this podcast. Like I can throw out Spider-Man 2 or I can throw out The Dark Knight, but the fact of the matter is I would rather talk about 1917 than either of those two films. I just, I don't have a lot to say about that movie besides that, like the cinematography is absolutely incredible. Um, the acting is good, but like, it's just, I feel like it came and went for me. Like I liked it, but I haven't like thought about it since I saw it or like since that first week, like that first week, it was deeply affecting. I thought about it a lot. Um, but like since then, I haven't really considered it except for when you've wanted to talk about it, which is why what blows my mind that you liked it so much. Granted, it's a good movie; it's very enjoyable. But I just I don't I don't know if the story carried as much like weight for me as I was hoping it would. Um, it almost just felt like a guy kind of stumbling through a series of vignettes about World War One, and we're just watching them. That's all. That's all it really felt like to me. And it was it wasn't a lot to grab onto. And like the characters, like good performances but i didn't like you don't even ever get that guy's name do you like the main character I just, uh schofield that's right i just i don't um i don't know maybe i need to watch it again but i just i didn't 
there wasn't a whole lot that I like sat and held on to with that. The only thing is there's there's something about the colors in that movie. I know that they're trying to tell a story with the colors in that movie. <laughs> I just haven't gotten there yet. It's another one of these metaphors that I'm telling you. It's It means something. Those colors mean something. There's something about a descent into hell and a rebirth when he jumps out of the gets out of the water. I mean it. There's something there. I just haven't quite... Maybe if I watch it again, I'll get that theory out and I'll, I'll come back to it next week or something. But I don't know. I just That's all I really have to say is just that that... that it is beautiful. Yeah, it's, you know? it is a beautiful film. I, I think if you haven't seen it, um, the the way they shoot the scenes where everything just looks like it's one unbroken shot is, is hard to ignore. I mean, it's like you've never seen anything quite like it. I mean, I think we've spent the last few years talking about this new thing that films have, and shows have been trying where they have fight scenes that are just unbroken choreography where there's no like jump cuts or anything. And, it's, and those are things that blow our mind. And suddenly we have this film that's in a, a war film war film uh, seemingly um, shot in one take I mean it's not but at the same time you know the way they cleverly edited it and the way they shot it it's just it really feels like you're walking behind this guy as he rips through is it World War 2 World War 1 World War 1 yeah he just as he rips through World War 1 on his way to complete his mission and it's like I think in that respect as a cinematography like cinematic experience it is mind-blowing it, like, right. ty- like Tyler said there isn't a ton of gr- to grab onto and I think you know, without any spoilers, I think the person that you're putting all your like emotional connection into, it's not the person that you stick with throughout the film. And I won't get any more in depth there, but I will say, I think that's where you kind of lose your ability to kind of grab onto like the substance of the film and you end up just watching it for what it is, which is just this incredible cinematic experience. So, you know, sorry, I I was going to say, so, you know, overall don't have a lot of negatives to say on it. I do get where Tyler's kind of not, um, totally sold on it but at the same time it, it is a film that you know you're going to enjoy watching if you put it on yeah as a war movie i mean if you're going to talk about war movies which we did for our first episode i almost feel like we burned too good of a topic but um i uh uh, uh our first practice episode for anybody listening which we, but, did not um, release. we did not release it um but i think when you look at like saving private ryan you get a war movie where there's characters there's something to grab onto there's meat there right like you you feel for you get that scene where matt damon again (laughs) what's going on this episode why do we keep talking about him um matt damon is telling that story about his brothers and then he realizes that they're dead and you feel that that like that heat like that sadness it's so gut-wrenching or like you know you have that moment where the coward is watching his teammate like gets strangled to death uh, as he reaches for a knife and it's just you feel that and in this movie the main character that you're following the whole time is essentially an empty vessel like you don't know anything about him he doesn't really talk very much and the things that he does say are few and far between and it's, it's, it's sort of I think that they left that space there for you to fill the character with your own thoughts and carry that with you through the rest of the film I think that that's what uh, the director who he directed Spectre, what's his name, Jeff? Sam Mendes. Skyfall. Sam Mendes, that's right. Um, he, uh, I think that that's what he was going for. He wanted it to be sort of just like another soldier, just another grunt who went through this. And he wanted you to bring your own emotional baggage with you into the film and have your own thoughts and your own feelings. And I think that that's why he, he, he held off on showing you that, that reveal, which I won't go into, but for anybody who wants to watch it, until the end of the film... Is because he wanted you to bring it with, like bring your own, yourself into the film, 
but I just don't think that that really worked for me. It gave me less to to hold on to, and so what I ended up just doing throughout the rest the whole film was just looking at the pretty pictures you know what I mean like I just I thought it was so beautiful and that's that's the real triumph is the cinematography it's not the movie you know but like I, and I start to say like I didn't enjoy it I had a great experience watching the film I just feel like when you when you put it in your list of favorite movies especially with the two that you said before this I just I'm having like those are such strong character films that 1917 is almost devoid of character and I mean, so it's an interesting take. I choose. hadn't really considered it like that, and I, I see where you're coming from. I, I would say that the character is definitely um, underspoken, soft-spoken. Um, it's a definitely a much more subtle approach towards his development, where he's a character that's kind of experiencing war and trying not to think about the life that he could be living instead. Um, and because of that, he represses a lot of those character moments that other people voluntarily share in other war films. In other war films, also, it's sort of like they're actively participating in the war, whereas in that film, war is just happening to the main character, right? right. Like, he's he's just, he's almost like a passive actor throughout the whole film. Not, not, not actor as in the actor of the film, but like an actor in the moments. Like, he's, he's passive and things are just happening to him, is what it seems like. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's, it's less to grab onto, which is, I think, one of the reasons that I wouldn't put it like, quite as high on a list of even of war films but definitely not as like my favorite movies of all time granted very watchable like i i do really want to watch it again do we have that anywhere yeah we own it okay i might have to watch it all right uh brian do you want to go with your last one or should i uh go ahead man uh my last one is my favorite movie of all time which i think might get some interesting play from you guys but it's casino royale from mountain martin campbell it's the first james bond film with daniel craig it is probably the film that I have watched the most in my entire life. Um, I just love it. I think that it is James Bond's been like a big part of my life. I always really loved James Bond um, growing up. And uh, when they first came out with this movie, I wasn't really sold on um, them replacing Pierce Brosnan. I, I didn't really have a lot to look forward to in it. And then the movie came out and from, the for opening scene I was fully gripped I mean it starts in black and white and then it moves on to a, a scene with uh, where they're doing parkour through the city of uh, I forget Mombasa or something and uh, apparently you need to watch it again I do I, I, I'm willing to um, but it's just it's just such a good movie it's such an incredible reinvent like to take a character that we know so well and reinvent him in a way that got longtime James Bond fans excited about the franchise again. I just, I don't know, how that, like, is just that simple feat is so impressive to me as like a as like a feat of filmmaking. You know what I mean? To take something, it's like taking Batman and breathing new life into Batman, which Christopher Nolan did, right? Like he took a character that we had everybody knows, and then did Batman Begins and like brought him back. Like people were like, "Oh shit!" Like this Batman is not fucking around. That's what they did with Casino Royale with James Bond. They took a character which had become silly. People were making fun of him, you know, like he wasn't what he was supposed to be anymore. And they were like, "Nah, let's make him cool again," you know. And they did it, and it's just that in and of itself is just impressive. And you know what? He actually already Martin Campbell had already done that 
with Goldeneye. He also directed the first Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie, which I maintain is the second best James Bond movie. Martin Campbell should just only direct James Bond movies. No one else should do it. I don't understand. Granted, after those movies, he went on and directed uh, Green Lantern. So he doesn't have a perfect track record. But yeah, he is. I do really like him. And I think that I I just, I don't know, Casino. I don't have a lot more to say about it because... I, you know, I've written papers about how much I like this this movie for film classes and stuff. So, um, I don't know. How do you guys feel? Yeah, good Questions? movie. Good movie. I mean, it really set off a new era of James Bond that I think is a lot more, like you said, cool. I mean, when you watch James Bond now, you're like, dude, this guy's badass. And I think with Brosnan, it was more, in general, it was more like, yeah, he fits the bill of a James Bond or like your traditional James Bond, but it was like almost hokey and not as believable this one is just like this guy that's just willing to freaking die for every little mission and you know it actually genuinely feels like as he goes along like he's in peril you know whereas when you watch pierce brosnan in the role you never really feel like he's at, at risk at all just the way the yeah, films are he's just got he's so much so plot armor and composed yeah it's so much plot armor he doesn't have a single hair out of place and this dude's just sitting and tied in a chair in the first movie with a freaking knotted rope just getting freaking like <laughs> oh my god oh my god so anyway i don't think I, I don't think mads mickelson has been used to effect better than in this film i, I think that casino royale is mads mickelson's best film well and they and um, they don't they far, don't but... um shy away from the effects that living that lifestyle would have on a human being like when he's with the chick and then all of a sudden she watches him kill some people in the stairwell and then all of a sudden she's just like losing her mind in the shower because she just watched a couple people die and she almost died herself. Like you could just see her like mentally just not being able to accept the information. And like, that is how I would uh, expect a human being to react in that situation. So like those kind of things make it so much more believable and something that you can like, like I think you've used the term before, like this and this podcast wrap your arms around and like this thing that you're like, yeah, like this is a brutal lifestyle. This thing's horrible. Like, it's not like it's, it's all, you know, martinis and suits. It's like, there's a lot of like, horrible stuff that happens and that he has to deal with in this in this line of work and i think they just do a really good job of capturing that and it really has brought that uh that genre and that series back i I will say i i do love this movie deeply i think it's incredible i still to this day as many times as i've seen it i don't quite understand the explanation that james bond gives when they arrest mathis he's just like he's sitting there rehabilitating and he's just like he says Something, 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 and then people just like take him away. And I was just like, wait, what was their explanation? Like, I feel like the second, the, the very last, the end of that film just kind of rushes just a bit where I like it's so hard to understand exactly what's going on between him and Evergreen and him with uh, Mathis. And then you see Mathis again, and I think it's in Skyfall or Inspector or something. I was just like, what is happening in this continuity? So his, the reason that he has Mathis arrested or taken by the Secret Service or whatever, not Secret Service, MI6 is um he knows that someone sold him and Vespa out he knows that someone betrayed them and so he assumes it's Mathis but really we find out later that it was Vespa the whole time Vespa's the one that sold him out so he was wrong I see. and that's why in the second one he goes or in uh in uh, Quantum of Solace he uh he okay. goes back and apologizes essentially and I like see. has his reuniting with Mathis because he's like He's like, oh, sorry, I was wrong. I thought, I, I thought there's no way that it could be her, you know, because he was blinded by his love for her, right? Um, so he takes, he took Mathis out, and then, you know, whatever. But uh, I, uh, I want to quickly touch on Brian's point. 
in uh they 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 took James Bond which had kind of become comical. He almost became like a parody of like what Americans thought of British people. You know what I mean? Like he's like this uptight kind of erudite British person who like if he were to have blood on his shirt it would be like ew, and you know, something like that. And then they turn him into an assassin with like scars and he's brutal and he's violent and you know what I mean? Like they turn him into this this like you know person who wants to fight he's a bulldog you know what i mean and i think that that was kind of one of the smartest reinventions because if you've read uh ian fleming's books like that's there is like a sort of mixture he is violent you know he there's a lot of violence in those books he wants to fight and then he but at the same time he's suave and i think that daniel craig is really the first time that they took james bond in that direction and uh, I think it just is to great effect. But yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think there's a lot more to say about it because I think we all three really like that movie. I agree. Right? I mean, yeah, just the fact that they took away the whole pristineness, like when he's just wrecking cars left and right, and just the, the, the havoc that he causes for sure. Oh, yeah, he's, he's just not clean effect. about any of it. He's, yeah, he, it's just crazy. Uh, Brian, what's your third film? Yeah, and I know we're coming up on time here, kind of going a little over, so I'll keep this one brief. Um, it's Warrior. It's I think we all knew uh, Warrior was going to be my last one. Um, just, so this is a movie that not a lot of people have seen because right. it's, it was a really low budget sports film. Right. Uh, so Brian, but why don't you explain brief, brief synopsis? Yeah. So um, main characters here. I got all their names here, so I'm, I'm not gonna be great with names. So I'll just read them off. Joel Edgerton's your main character. Tom Hardy's your other main character. They're brothers, and then their father Nick Nolte. It's kind of like revolves around these three guys. Um, essentially. Nick Nolte is a, was a father that was like an ex-Marine uh, with a big drinking problem. And when these guys were kids, he used to beat their mom, used to beat them. Um, and it caused like real bad fr- like fractures in the family. Essentially, the mom left and took Tom Hardy, who was the younger brother, with her. Uh, she ended up bef- – this is before the, the time of the movie. She ended up like dying of cancer horribly. And Tom Hardy was the only person there for her as a kid. And so he basically has developed this like resentment and hate towards his family that stayed behind, which would be Nick Nolte, the father who kind of caused all the issues and his older brother, um, Joel Edgerton. So Tom Hardy joins the Marines and ends up becoming this badass. Um, Joel Edgerton's character, the older brother stays with the dad and because he was dating uh, this girl that he ended up marrying. So fast forward to the time of the movie um, Joel Edgerton is a teacher who's having a hard time making ends meet with his wife and they're like getting foreclosed on in their home. Nick Nolte's uh, just a drunk or excuse me. He's uh, a rehabilitated old man, but he can't get his sons to talk to him. And Tom Hardy comes back. He has basically gone AWOL from the Marines and he just freaking hates everybody. But he basically comes back to his hometown and reconnects with his dad um, and starts picking up UFC fighting, which like they both have a background in, in fighting, but you know, to what extent, not really clear in the beginning, but it turns out he's just this absolute wrecking crew, badass fighter. Joel Edgerton, well, he's, uh, who's he's an ex green beret or something. Yeah, like that. He's an ex Marine has a background, but he also has wrestling a and boxing. Yeah. yeah so he's <laughs> an ex Marine. So he's badass enough already, but he also has, uh, his childhood. He was like this prodigy wrestler. So he's got the ground game as well. And he's got this just rage fire <laughs> burning in him. And then uh, Joel Edgerton's character is a teacher who's also got that kind of motivation when he fights. He also has a background. He was kind of like a 
a UFC fighter that didn't really do good in his actual career, but I mean, he's still like in his early thirties, so he's still capable of fighting. He has just kind of hung it up to like start a family, but he's got this motivation of like, dude, like this day job, I tried to do the day job thing and it ain't working. I'm still getting my house foreclosed. They're still taking my house from under me. So he picks up fighting. They both kind of pick up fighting around the same time. And long story short, this millionaire um, starts a, a tournament called the Sparta tournament where like the top 16 UFC fighters in the world are going to fight each other or mixed martial artists in the world are going to fight each other. Both guys end up finding their way into the tournament like through like fighting in other tournaments and, and kicking the crap out of, you know, top they contenders. They earn their way in. Yeah, they earn their way into this tournament. And throughout the tournament, you see their different motivations driving them and Nick Nolte, the father, is is this guy who hasn't drank in like three years. He's he's trying to like find forgiveness in his sons who won't forgive him. And they just have this this these different motivations that drive them through this tournament of the top fighters in the world. And spoiler, but they meet in the championship game, and it is just the most epic, emotional tearjerker slash inspiring story. You know, quickly, it's I awesome. want to. That was not a quick synopsis, first of all. <laughs> you said quick synopsis. Go watch the movie. Go watch that the was movie. like the whole movie. <laughs> listen, listen to this recording while you watch the movie and you'll just, you'll just, it'll click. I'm surprised you didn't just do a blow by blow of the, uh, uh, of the fight with, uh, yep. Kurt Angle, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Angle plays a Russian. It's awesome. Yeah. Which is very funny, but, um. It's it is a really good movie. I think it's interesting that this is one of your favorite movies of all time. Being as big of a sports guy as you are, and how many sports movies have such a similar storyline to this that aren't about fighting, a sport that you don't pay attention to. <laughs> like it's so yeah. weird that this is a, your favorite yeah. movie, even just, though you're not like a UFC guy. But that's or a testament anything. to how well made it is. I think like it's just it a is really it's good. great. Well, I think and, it's uh, go ahead. What's, what's interesting about this is that, from what I understand, a lot of people that actually enjoy UFC hate this film. Yeah, because it's really? not really how anything would happen. Because, because if you were in a fight like that, you'd have to take like a month, two months to recuperate. Yeah, yeah from not only the not only because the the back to back fighting, but the chance of two untested UFC fighters going against the best have, guys in have, the world that no don't way. have a single ranked <laughs> fight under their belt being picked for the top 16 in the world is dumb. Like the concept of like, I don't know. I love this film. I'm trying to, I'm just saying it's a bad film. I love this film deeply, but just the concept that it's like not one, but two untested fighters weasel their way into this tournament. And, and then also their the brothers. Yeah. And then they also beat the and, other contestants. Yeah, Edg Joel Edgerton goes through the gauntlet of ass whoopings. <laughs> like every fight that that guy is in, he's just getting absolutely tossed around like a rag doll. And I think they even have that's that clip. What, so that's what also like speaks to this movie though is it's it's really it's really about getting up and like continuing to go and keeping the fight going and like that's what the best sports movies are all about right like there's a reason that a lot of sports movies end with the the main character or the team your heroes losing is because it's not about them winning that final match it's about them showing that even though they lost they still have their honor you know what i mean like they fought for that shit and like losing isn't a sign of of like you know whatever of like it's that you went against the best and you put in your all and you and even though you lost like you kept trying you know what i mean like that's what that's what like sports tell us or sports movies are telling us right um and i think that that's 
that's true in this film but yeah i mean obviously that all of that is so stupid they could come in and like, i just yeah, i read it's a just suspension of disbelief i read a, sure, yeah, i read a, a like a concept online where someone was like the movie would be significantly improved and i agree with this it like the movie becomes comical spoiler tom hardy just bulldozes everyone in the tournament like the top 16 fighters and he just like is dropping people like they have glass chins like as if these people have never taken a fucking punch in their life and people right. are like this movie would be improved if you put tom hardy against kurt angle and now then you show tommy having a ground game then you show him having someone that he can't just yeah they, bully. They, that, that is a knock to like if you get into this this the narrative a little bit is he's built up as this guy that was literally a prodigy in wrestling he was like going for the all-time record for undefeated like most wins in a row and then you don't see him with a ground game wrestling at all once like yeah, yeah he just punches everybody in the face the only and time you see him on the ground he gets his shoulder ripped out of the socket yeah he actually loses <laughs> so it's like they build yeah. up this guy as this incredible wrestler and then he doesn't wrestle at all so like that that is for sure like i could see it from a more technical aspect of the like the people that are more into that that sport and like and being believable if they if they just explained it as that guy just had this prodigious skill in wrestling and he just surprised people and, and was just pinning guys left and right but instead it's his brother who was always kind of a mediocre UFC fighter and was a school teacher and then came back to fighting right. that's just getting and everyone with the ground alternatively, game it's it, since music. Brandon fights or, or Joel Edgerton fights Koba um, in that film if he's not fighting Koba he should be fighting Mad Dog which is the character that Tom Hardy beats in order to win his like claim to fame that gets him his entry to the tournament who's like the defending champion. So if you have Mad Dog fighting Brendan, then you can show Brendan, you know, you can show off this character, Mad Dog, who's literally used as like a weak character that just gets his shit kicked in the whole time. If you can have sure. him, yeah. and then you can establish that character as someone who's better. None of this, none of this ruins the film though. I mean, the film True, is, no. the it's, film is it's awesome. It's a great movie. And yeah. also it's the first time that I had ever seen Tom Hardy in a movie. And I remember Brian, when that movie came out, he was like, Warrior's the best movie I've ever seen. We have to go see it. And so we all went as a family. You went and saw it on a date, I think. And then you came home and we're like, we have to go see it. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> you were already yeah. so in love with it yeah. that we all, like, I think the next day, the whole family went and saw it in theaters together. And I remember afterwards you being like, that guy, Tommy, like that guy is probably my favorite actor now. <laughs> like, and it was Tom Hardy. It was the first time I'd ever seen him. And I was like, yep. really? You've only seen him in this. And then you heard he it. Ended I was the first one really on the good. Tom Hardy train. You heard it. Yeah. Brian was way ahead of everybody I else. Cause I was like, really? I don't, I didn't think he was that good. And then he ends up being, you know, Tom Hardy. So, but yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen him. And then, uh, Brian was an early adopter. He saw something in him and uh, basically credit for that. should get credit for him being so successful actually. Yeah. You're the I'm one the, that found I, it. I got the word out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's all I really have to say about it. By I the mean, way, while we're on movie. the subject, Google Tom Hardy, MySpace page, do, do yourself a favor. <laughs> it, it needs to be known. <laughs> it is amazingly, <laughs> like cringe weird. cringe dude. it's the weirdest thing you'll it's the weirdest find. thing tom oh, hardy yeah. myspace page on google get a laugh it is cringy that guy before Actually, being celebrity was a total nightmare <laughs> not a nightmare he right, just not a nightmare was it's just very something cringy. weird very cringy. yeah he's just a weird dude a lot of uh, uh, white I, think he still is, I think he still is kind of a weird guy but i still like him he uh nick nolte real quick before we get off of it it's he actually got an uh, academy award nomination for this film uh, for best supporting actor killed it and i think he should have got it i don't know who won that year but he was i just i like i've never really seen nick nolte in a role that i 
didn't like him in, but that was by far the role that I thought he was just so impressive in. I just think that it's he really sells that dad trying to like come home to his son. Oh, you know what? I do. I can't think of a role that I didn't like him in, and that says Bruce Banner's dad in uh, that Hulk movie by Ang Lee with Eric Bana, actually. Uh, where I don't know what he's doing in that. Actually, he's actually good in that. <laughs> yeah, as good as he could have been. So you know what? I take it back. I did like him in that too. <laughs> that movie just sucks. He's just in a bad movie. But I think he he sells that like sad dad so well. Yeah, he trying it. to reconnect he with his kids. For sure. Good movie. I think consensus there. All right. Well, we didn't really do as much ripping apart as I thought we might have. But I mean, I guess it really comes down to the fact that we all just picked really good movies. Um, and uh, everybody except for Brian with Inception. So, or not Inception, Interstellar. You I shot, Inception. A fi- a shot at your own movie. So why don't you go and kiss my ass? I think what's interesting about Warrior. I actually liked Inception more director, before I heard your take. <laughs> the, the director of Warrior is, is Gavin O'Connor. And the only other movie that I recognize that he directed is Miracle. Like it's another. Wow. Um, he directed Miracle? Yeah. The 2004 hockey film. If we're, no, uh, no, he was the head coach we're of the actual do a team. Best, <laughs> yeah. um, the, the, the next uh, blah, blah, blah. one of these days we're going to do an episode about sports films. Uh, it's just going to happen because it's just too. It's we uh, we've all seen too many of them. Everybody has, um, but Miracle is going to be one that I'm probably going to have a lot to say be, uh, talk about because I really like that movie. Again, that, that's interesting. I I also went into his his back catalog to see like any other movies that he had done a few months back and uh he's done just like a bunch of really low budget ufc movies <laughs> he has like two or three other ufc movies that are really low budget uh that i don't really understand what is going on there but he's like retrying trying to reclaim that movie um all right are we are we good is that the episode did we do it i think we nailed it I think we did it i think, I think we did I won. It. all right uh, thanks anybody who is still listening to our uh, diatribe an hour and a half in. We appreciate you. Uh, like and review us on whatever you're listening to us on. Um, recommend us to a friend. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Clever Kids Pod. Somehow we have like 250 followers on there, but Let's our go. listenership, but our listenership is not that high right now. So I don't know what's going on there. It's people bookmarking um, us. That's what it is. Yeah, they're they're gonna come back. Um, uh yeah thanks thanks for listening um reach out to us on there does anyone have something that you want the fans to reach out to us about yeah tell me i was right about all my movies and all my takes (laughs) about their movies yeah whose top three do you you relate to most also do you agree that interstellar no god damn it inception is a metaphor for the filmmaking process yeah um who else is lower on inception after hearing tyler's take <laughs> reach out also what is your top three give us your top three reach out to us uh i think i'm going to start an email address for the website or for for us as well so that people can email us see if maybe we'll get some hits there um but yeah get in touch we we want to hear from you guys so and then uh is it my turn to pick the topic next or is yep. it jeff jeff no it's jeff i'm just saying yes to whoever <laughs> yeah it's I, jeff. if you want to pick a topic you can but i i will pick come up with one No, it's Jeff. You pick it because I'm bad at this. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys.